listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we're going to continue our series, What Lurks Beneath. What Lurks Beneath. Just look at somebody near you and say, What Lurks Beneath. Come on, let's, 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 let's get this in us. Let's get it out, okay? Um, the first week of this series, we revealed the source of the problem. And I told you, it was simply diagnostic. That's all it was. First week was simply diagnostic. It just kind of left you hanging. Like, like, here's what's wrong with you. <laughs> now you can leave. You know, that's kind of what it was first week. I, I, I showed you where it's a heart issue is what it is. And I can promise you we're all dealing with it. There's not anybody in this room that you don't have some heart issues that God wants to work on. And for most of us in the room, God wants to work on it today. Jesus said that what comes out of our mouths reveals whether our hearts are sick or not. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever this is revealing, this is diagnosing what's happening inside here. Last week, we looked at our first heart issue and we started dealing with some of these things. And the first one was jealousy, envy. And jealousy begins when I think I deserve something that I don't have. When we live life affected by jealousy, we are condemning the life that God has trusted us with. We're basically saying, God, the life you've given me is not good enough. You don't know what you're doing with my life. And that's where jealousy comes in. And and today we're going to dive into a very difficult subject. And our, our next heart diagnosis is anger. Anger. And I promise you this, everybody in this room has to battle anger and some of you you're battling it right now I mean like on the way to church you and your wife you and your husband you had an argument on the way to church and you're dealing with anger right now like you love God but you can't stand her you know it's the reason why Mandy and I drive separately to church right I I get here at six she's not coming that early so that's not why through years of pastoring and parenting and even marriage I've come to realize that anger Anger is a secondary emotion. No one just starts off angry. It doesn't work like that. Like, you're not born angry. You might be a little fussy, but you're not born angry. That's not the way that this works. Uh, You just don't wake up one day and just out of the blue, I'm angry. Not the way it works. You see, you become angry. It's a process, and it always stems from a primary emotion because anger is always secondary. So something else happens to get you to the anger. It could be disappointment. Maybe you're just disappointed in a situation. You're disappointed in a person. You're disappointed in the circumstances. You're disappointed with life. There's an unmet expectation somewhere, and so through disappointment, you have become angry. Or, or, or maybe it's, it's disgust. Maybe there's something that doesn't sit well with you. Maybe it's an injustice in, in society. Maybe it's an injustice on your life. And, and, and that disgust, it, it breeds anger that, that rises up within you. Maybe it's fear. Maybe fear is the primary emotion that leads you to anger. Let me show you how this works. When, when I was a youth pastor, I, I used to work youth camps for two weeks every summer. I was the video guy. And I was in charge of of creating uh, like funny moments, memorable moments, 
And they would bring me the footage throughout the day or, or from the scenes that we created, the different things that, that happened. And I would edit all day long. And even at the night worship services at youth camp, they would quickly bring me clips from the services. And I would edit all that together. And at the end of the evening, before the campers went back to their cabins and went to bed, they would play the, today's video. And they were all hoping that they would see themselves on the video. And, and that is what I did for, for like over a decade. That's what I did at, at youth camp. About 20 years ago, during our, our second week of camp, and understand this, that, that during that second week of camp, you're tired. You've been there almost two weeks. Fatigue sets in. Simply put, you get exhausted. How many of you know you make poor decisions when you get exhausted, right? And uh, about 20 years ago, during our second week of camp, I, I walked in. My brother was with me. He was my video guy, so he was carrying the camera. And uh, I walked into this lounge area. We called it the VIP room. It's, it's backstage. It, it, if you've ever been to Camp Y Mama, it's back, back behind the stage. And it was just a place that during camp, all of the counselors and different ones, they would come through, grab a snack, maybe, you know, sit down on one of the nice couches or something and take a load off. And when we walked in this day, it was daylight outside. We walked in and, and all the lights were off. And over in the corner of the room, there's this big comfy chair with a big comfy ottoman. And in that chair was a friend of ours. His, let's just call him Rodney, because that's his name. And Rodney was in that chair, and he was exhausted. He was sleeping. I mean, it, like snoring, middle of the day, snoring. And I looked at my brother, and I said, get your camera ready. And I walked over to his chair, and I had an air horn in my hand. Now, you might ask, why? Why did you have an air horn? I have no idea. It was youth camp. Anything can happen. But I had an air horn in my hand. How convenient. How handy. Like, this is the sovereignty of God, right? And so I had this in my hand, and I walked over in that dark room with Rodney snoozing. I mean, he's getting the best sleep he's had in two weeks. And I walked over and right beside his, his ear. And when I did, my brother filming the whole thing, when I did, Rodney jumped out of that chair he quickly became so angry. He looked at me. There was fire in his eyes. And he exclaimed something. He said something that caused us to have to erase the tape. <laughs> it was going to be great until the work from the abundance of the heart. He's a friend and sometimes he watches and he knows I'm telling the truth. And he stormed out of that room, didn't talk to me for the next five hours. I mean, just angry, angry with me. Now, 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 let's think about this. Let's think about this. He didn't just wake up angry. That's not the way it works. He didn't just wake up angry. He was awakened in fear, and it quickly turned into anger. I mean, like, like that. It turned, but, but it scared him. Anger is always a secondary emotion brought on by some other feeling in life. And I'm telling you this because some of you, God's beginning to reveal to you why you're angry. Because there's another emotion involved. There's something else that led to this anger. I need you to understand this, though. In order for God to bring some healing to some of our hearts today, we've got to understand that anger in and of itself is not a sin. Anger is not a sin. I know this. Answer is a God-given emotion. I think God gave us anger so that we wouldn't uh, like spontaneously combust or something. I don't know, but he gave us anger. 
I know this because Psalm 4 and 4 tells us, be angry and do not sin. So it is possible to be angry but not sin. You get over to the New Testament and and Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he reiterates what the psalmist said in verses 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. And then he tells us, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now that's interesting. That's interesting the way that, that Paul points this out. Now listen, I'm pretty strict on what translations of the Bible that I will use. If you ever want to have that conversation, we, we can have that conversation at some point. I was raised on the King James. I've memorized a lot of scripture in King James from being raised in a pastor's home, quoting the King James. Love the King James. I know it's hard for many people to understand. I often preach from the English Standard Version. I will often preach also from the New Living Translation. The one thing that I try to stay away from is, the, or I would say I'd stay away from the paraphrases. They're, they're not even translations. Someone took scripture, expounded upon it. There's no sin in that. I don't, I, but for me, I tend to stay away from it. However, however, I went to Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. And I want you to hear how he expounds upon this in verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 4. Same thing that we just read, but listen to, to how Eugene Peterson, Peterson phrased it. Verse 26, he said, Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. Somebody say praise the Lord for that, right? I mean, isn't there just a release with that? Don't you feel better about your life? You feel better about yourself? Like, like go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But here it is. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Whew. You see, church, when we don't deal with anger properly, it gives Satan an opportunity to get his foot into the doorway of our lives. That's what Paul was saying. Like, if you don't process anger properly, if you don't deal with it the right way, you are leaving the door cracked, and Satan is going to find his way into your life through that cracked door. But if you want to... to, to, to Stop him from entering into the life of your home, then you've got to learn to deal with these emotions. And so Paul said, don't, don't, don't harbor that inside. You see, church, our emotions are real, and God gave them to us, but he also gave us proper procedures to handle them. And Satan wants to convince you that the wrong behavior will produce the right results. And so you'll, you'll feel justified in your outburst. You'll feel justified in your anger if you're not careful. Because it, let's just be honest. Sometimes it just feels good to let it out, right? And, and if you're not careful, that wrong behavior will produce the wrong results. Not the right results. Because harbored anger turns into hate. This is where it gets dangerous. It's not sinful to have anger. But it is sinful to hate. And when you keep that bottled up inside, it turns into hate. And and here's what I have figured out. Today's anger is manageable. Maybe that's why he said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Today's anger is manageable, but yesterday's anger is destructive. Delayed anger can even become deadly, not only to you, but also to the others that you're hurting in the process. Now, I'm going to be in the Old Testament and New Testament today. I'm going to start us off in Numbers chapter 20. But in Numbers chapter 20, the people of Israel 
They rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and they were thirsty, and they were taking it out on their leadership. And sometimes it happens, I know. You paint a target on you sometimes being a leader, and people will take it out on you. But how many of you know that that anger is contagious? You will become who you're around. Anger is contagious. I know. I mean, just look at Congress. But never, never, never mind. Let's keep going. Anger is contagious. And if you hang out with angry people long enough, you too will become angry. So, so God tells Moses to take the staff and to go over to a certain rock and speak to it. Now, if, if you know the story, you'll know that earlier... He told Moses, I want you to go over to a a certain rock and I want you to strike it with the staff. And then water came forth out of the rock. Messing with your theology, I know I am. That's not a huge miracle. In that area of the world, there's certain rocks that, that store water in them. Moses spent 40 years in this wilderness, God preparing him. He knew what to look for in certain rocks to walk over to it and hit it. And it's simply God telling him, Hey, use your common sense. There's water in the rocks. So go ahead, hit the rock, and water will come forth. The miracle in all that is that the entire Hebrew nation was refreshed from him striking a rock. So, so there is a miracle in it, but, but God told him that. This one's different. This one's different. He said, I want you to, to go over and speak to this rock. And it's interesting to me that God told him to take that staff with him. Like, if that's what he used last time when when he struck the rock and water came forth, why would God tell him, take the staff with you, but this time I want you to speak to the rock? Why would God do that? It's almost like he's setting him up. Understand, this is the same staff that when God was calling Moses to to lead the people out out of Egypt, he told him, he said, I want you to throw the staff down on the ground. When he threw the staff down on the ground, it became a serpent. He said, now I want you to pick it up. And when he picked it up by the tail, it became a staff again. It it was a sign. It was a wonder that he was going to use to get the attention of Pharaoh. The same staff was used when when they stood before the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army, the Egyptian army coming in behind them, and they raised this staff up. Moses would raise this staff up, and, and the sea would part, and they would walk across on dry ground. So if the plan was to only speak to the rock, Why bring the staff? Why tempt Moses with that? And in this instance, that staff, it represents authority and power. As long as he had that staff. You see, when he laid it down on the ground, it became a serpent, and he picked it back up. From that moment on, it's referred to as the staff of God. So as as a vessel of God, as as a leader over this, this Hebrew nation, this staff, it represents power and authority. And it's almost as if God was testing Moses to see if he would abuse his power or not. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is speaking? It's Matthew 5 and 5. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. You see, that word meek, I think it messes with us because we often see the word meek and we think soft, gentle, Mild-mannered, that, that's how we would describe a meek person. But the, the, the Greek word that's used in biblical text is preus, preus. And preus refers to strength controlled through discipline. It, it, it is power without undue harshness. 
And so in this moment, I wholeheartedly believe that he said, take the staff with you. It represents power and authority. But, but, but Moses, you've got to have strength under control through discipline. Ancient Greeks have used this, this term to describe tamed animals, like, like a wild horse. A wild horse is powerful, but its strength and power are useless to us. That is, uh, until after the horse is tamed and trained. Then, and only then, its great strength becomes extremely useful to us. This is Preus, its power under control. We see it played out with water. When we finally figured out that, that the use of water can be very powerful for us, that, then uh, we could even produce electricity from, from dams that, are, that, that, that the water is, is made to travel through. When we figured that out, fire, we know fire can be extremely powerful. It can also be very destructive. And so we understand this. Moses had authority and power, but did he have the discipline that it requires? Numbers chapter 20. I want to start with verse 9. Let's read. Let's find out what Moses did with this authority and power. Verse 9. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Now let's pause there just for a moment. Because when you start the conversation with, listen, you rebels, I can promise you it's about, there's going to be fireworks here. Somebody's mad. Somebody is angry in this moment. Moses is very angry. So he's like, listen, Linda, must we bring you water from this rock? Verse 11, then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice, not once, Twice with the staff and water gushed out so the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. So there's the grace of God in all that. Even in the mistake, there's the grace of God. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing. Because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. You go back to verse 12, and God, God tells Moses and Aaron, he says, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness. You see, that's really the anger issue, right? That's what's lurking inside when we don't deal with our anger. We forfeit the right to have the holiness of God demonstrated in and through our lives. And he says, because you did not trust me enough in this frustrating moment. You see, it's contagious. Anger is contagious. The people were mad. Moses became mad. He became angry. Because you did not trust me in this circumstance, you don't get to see my holiness revealed. And he said, you won't even enter into the promised land. The two of you will not be the ones that lead my people into the promised land. Moses, we, we know he had anger issues. Don't be surprised by that. We knew this. You, you just chose to ignore it because you want to create this hero out of Moses. And, and I love Moses. Hey, but I think God, he's more like me than what I care to admit. We, we saw the warning signs. They were there. You, I mean, he was literally the first person to break the Ten Commandments. anger. He come down off the mountain. The people have created a, a, a golden calf to worship, a false idol. 
And in his anger and frustration in that moment, he took the tablets of God and he threw them to the ground and broke them. That, that's an anger issue. What, what about the time? What about the time that before he spent the 40 years in the wilderness when he just develops a heart for, for the, his people? Remember, he was raised in, in Pharaoh's court. But, but he would walk down in the afternoons and he would, he would check on the Hebrews because that was his people. And what about that time that, that he, he, he walks around the corner and, and he sees this Egyptian mistreating one of his people, one of the Hebrews? The Bible says that, that Moses looked this way and that way to make sure no one was watching. And then he went and killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Let me tell you what this is called premeditated murder. He looked this way and he looked that way to see if anyone was watching before he committed his crime. And you tell me that Moses didn't have anger issues? He certainly had anger issues. But you need to understand anger is not sin. I know this because the man that knew no sin was angry at times. That's right. Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, he was angry at times. There was this one time when, when Jesus entered the synagogue and there was this man with a withered hand. And if you remember this story, the Pharisees, they, they watched closely because they wanted to see if Jesus was going to heal his withered hand on the Sabbath. That's how legalistic these people were. Their mind, in their mind, you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath and healing was Sabbath. You, you know, Jesus, he established this. He said that he was Lord of the Sabbath and Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so we understand that God performs miracles. How many of you are thankful that sometimes you show up here and, and, and life just isn't right? You might be dealing with something physically, mentally, spiritually, but you walk into the house of God, God meets you here and you walk out whole again, amen? This is the Lord of the Sabbath. They were watching Jesus closely. Is he going to heal this man's withered hand? And listen to Mark chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. It says, And he came to the man with the withered hand. Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Oh, thank you, Lord, that sometimes you just give a look to somebody. You ever gave a look to somebody? I mean, there's just anger, and, and you just know if, if I don't give them a look, I'm going to say something I shouldn't say, right? And so you, 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 know, you, you know how to do your eyebrows just right, you know? You, you do it, and, and it lets off a little tension in that moment, right? Jesus gave this man a look. He says that he looked around at them with anger, and he was grieved at, at, at their hardness of heart. Understanding Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man in that moment. He was going through every emotion that we have to go through. That's what makes him a savior that, 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 that can understand us. He can relate to us because he knows what we've had to deal with because he had to deal with it. Fully God, but fully man. Jesus had to deal with anger just like me. He had to deal with anger just like you. But probably, I know where some of you religious people are going already in your minds. The most famous instance of Jesus expressing his anger is found in John chapter 2. 
And so I cannot teach you about anger without going to this because some of you, you're going to justify some of the damage that you're doing because you know what Jesus did and you need to understand it better. So John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 13 through 17. This is going to be very convicting for some of you that are dealing with some anger issues. Um, I would ask you to raise your hand, but you wouldn't. So let's just, um, I would cause you to lie. So let's just keep going. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so the disciples in that moment, they remember a prophetic scripture about the Messiah that he will have zeal for the house of God. It will will overcome him. He will be consumed with it. Maybe that's why Jesus became angry. Was Jesus angry? My dad used to say, does a frog hit his butt every time he jumps? Yes, absolutely. Jesus was angry. There's no other way around it. He was absolutely angry. He walked into the temple and he found this situation where they had made it into a a, a money-making machine. They were selling sacrifices. People didn't have to bring sacrifices with them anymore. They didn't have to bring their best with them anymore. They were selling sacrifices in the temple and, and, and they were marking it up to make a profit off of it, taking advantage of people. This obviously angered Jesus. And and you know what? I don't think it was the first time that he saw it. I just think he understood now's the time to deal with it. Like, Like in this moment, anger was inside of him. And he knew. With, with that kind of emotion, I've got to deal with it in this moment. H- have you ever been misunderstood, though? Just me and, and you. So there's two of us in the room that tell the truth. You know what it means to be misunderstood. You know, your words are taken out of context. Anybody else? You, you, yeah, okay, there you are. I wonder if Jesus ever looks at, at the Father, because right now he's at the right hand of the Father, forever interceding for you and for me. So I know where he's at. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. I wonder if he ever looks at God the Father and, and, and says, really? Like, like Father, out of, out of all the things that I did on earth, and that's what they want to talk about, my anger? I just wonder if he ever has those honest conversations. You know, you know like, like Father, they were taking advantage of people. I just did what any honest, hardworking Jew would have done in the moment. Or, or maybe he looks at him and he says, out of everything I showed them by example, that's the one thing that they choose to mimic is the anger. You see, some of you think that's, that's your greatest Christ-like quality is that you know how to turn over tables and cause a ruckus, right? I'm afraid that we often misunderstand how Jesus dealt with his anger on this particular day. Yes, he braided a whip. No denying that. Scripture makes it plain. He fashioned a whip. But I want you to notice, he drove out the sheep and the oxen out of the temple. He didn't hit anyone with it. He even went to those that, 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 that had the, 
the, the pigeons. And he said, I want you to get that stuff up out of here. He didn't beat them. He used the whip to drive the animals out. And then he spoke to others and said, get that stuff out of here. He used his anger as a tool, not as a weapon. Some of us are in the habit of using our anger as a weapon and not as a tool. Anger should always be used as a tool and not a weapon. Anger should cause us to fight racism, not each other. Anger should cause us to fight for the unborn, not blow up abortion clinics. You see, anger should cause us to fight for our marriages, not destroy them. Anger should cause us to discipline our children, not abuse them. Anger has to be used as a tool and not a weapon. And so, church, we've got to learn to rally the emotion, not rage with it. So how do we deal with anger? What do we do? How do we deal with this? Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I mean, anger happens, right? Including Christ. We know it. But Paul says, you've got to get rid of anger. It, it has to come out of you. It can't stay in. You can't harbor this. Because it has to be dealt with properly. Because if it's not, then it's not going to be constructive. It will be destructive. And the point of anger is to bring about a change in a positive direction. That's, that's why we need to be angry. The reason we have this is because it's supposed to stir something up within us. Now, I need you to understand that, that I know, I know that, that for some of you in the room, this, this is striking a chord, and I know that there's some things that you are, 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 and it's not always aimed at one person. Sometimes it's aimed at a political party, or it's, it's aimed at a platform, or it's, it's, it's aimed at a presidency, or whatever all that is. And listen, I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's okay, it's okay, but you've got to learn how to process this the right way and not give the, the devil a foothold in your life because if you choose to harbor this stuff and not deal with it properly, you're never going to become the man or woman of God that he's called you to be. It's got to come out properly. Constructive, not destructive. Really quick, we're almost done. Matthew chapter 5. I want to read verses uh, 21 through 24 here in, in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking and he said, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. He says, If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now I want you to understand. He said, You're subject to judgment. He said, If you're angry, he didn't say if you're angry, you're going to be judged. He said, Be careful with it. He said, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. Therefore, call them a moron. <laughs> That's not what it says. Sorry. 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 It, sometimes I try to make it what I need it to be. But he says, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Did you hear that? And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Therefore, I need you to be extremely careful on your way home from church today because I'd hate for road rage to make you miss heaven. 
Okay, maybe that's not the same curse, but it's close. It's close. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Anger is not sinful. But how you express that anger, Jesus shows us, that can be. How you express that anger, it can be sinful. And, and some people, some people, and I'm not saying this in a, in a boastful way. This is heartbreaking to me. Some people might miss heaven over their anger because they didn't deal with it biblically. Let's con- continue with this. Verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And I need to show you this because he said, if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you explode and things come out of your mouth, he said, you might even have to face hell over some of these things that are being said because from the abundance of the heart, of course, the mouth speaks. The sickness is coming out. And he immediately goes into, when you show up to worship, be careful. Because if you walk through those doors and you're holding wrath and bitterness and anger, and you're holding these things in your heart, and you know that there's an issue with someone, Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your offering, and I want you to lay it on the altar, And then I want you to go and deal with it. Go talk about it. You know, in another place in Scripture, Jesus, he gave us this three-step process for dealing with people that we have ought against, that we have anger towards. He says, if you've you've got ought against someone, he said, first of all, I want you to go to them one-on-one. Have a one-on-one conversation. He said, the second thing I want you to do, I want you to take someone with you. And if they still don't receive it, he said, the third thing is, then you take it to the church. I wonder how many of these things could be fixed if we would just follow the steps that Christ gave us. It would be amazing. But he said this. He said, he said when, when you know there's an issue with a brother, when you know there's an issue with a sister, part of the family of God, don't show up and just try and worship God. He said, leave your money. Leave your offering. You go get it right. You go make every attempt to get this right. And church, I'm afraid that sometimes some of us show up and we're wondering why we don't get anything out of church, why we don't get anything out of a worship service. And and it's probably because we have ought against someone, we've got a problem with someone, or they've got a problem with us, and we have been... We didn't have the courage to have the hard conversation. It's not easy. But Jesus said, before you stand there and worship, you leave your offering and you go. You go make it right, then you come back. And I just wonder how many of us, we would receive more out of a corporate worship service if we would deal with things the way Jesus, if we would deal with the anger that's inside of us and not let it harbor and take root and turn into wrath and rage, I just wonder, I wonder how different our worship experience would be. Now, I'm going to pick this up so that I don't forget it, and some of you try to come up here after service and take my money and cause me to be angry. (laughs) A few years ago,
I was already the pastor of Destiny Community Church. God had blessed, and, and we were moving forward. We were in the middle school. Church was, was growing, but I noticed that we had hit a, a slow season. Nothing was in decline. It just wasn't happening like it was. I was praying one day, and God began to deal with me. You see, for 15 years, I had been angry at a former mentor of mine that hurt me. I'm not going into the details of it, but I'm telling you, he, he hurt me badly. And I had held on to that anger for 15 years. And God spoke to my spirit and he said, I've taken you as far as I will take you until you deal with this. Because the anger that was in my heart was turning into hate. I hated this person. I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit it. I hated them. If the earth would have opened up and swallowed them whole, I would have celebrated. It, it was that bad. I hated this person. And I felt justified for so many years in my hate. I just felt like, you know, I, I'm right in this. I'm right. I, I don't have to love this person. They've, they've wronged me. If they want to make it right, they need to come to me. And God said, I've taken you as far as I will take you. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, that was an indictment against my ministry is what it was. The very thing that God's called me and blessed me to do, he said, I've taken you as far as I will take you until you go and start dealing with this issue that's in your heart, what's lurking beneath, until you start dealing with it. And I prayed, I said, God, I, I don't think I can. I, I don't like this person. And I, I think I even said, God, I hate this person. They've hurt me so badly, I don't think I can do this. And the Holy Spirit just showed me that I could not do it under my own ability and my own power. And so I started praying, okay, God, I'm going to start taking steps in this direction, but I need your help because I don't know how to do this. And for two years... God began working on me and I'll tell you what he did he started preparing my heart to hear answers that were not the answers that I wanted because you, you know what bothers me worse than anything is when someone apologizes and they say I'm sorry if I've offended you you want me to tell you something you can keep that apology in your pocket because I don't want it I'm sorry if I offended you of course you offended me I'm angry with you it's not a question of, of if I'm offended, I'm offended. Just apologize for what you did, not if I'm offended. And the Holy Spirit began working on me and saying, saying things like this to me. And listen, if you don't have the Holy Spirit talking to you like that, you need to empty yourself and you need to start praying for the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life because he'll, he'll fill you and he'll talk to you. And he began preparing me to have a conversation and to receive answers that were not the answers that I wanted but to be prepared for it and I called a family member that had access to this person that I had not talked to in over 15 years and I said I want you to set up a lunch appointment I'll drive to their city and they did they put us in a, in a room private off away from everyone else in this restaurant this little restaurant 
And that family member, after we ate, excused themselves and left. And the two of us, this person that I hated, we sat across the table from each other. And I shared my heart. I shared my hurt. I shared my pain. I I, I spoke very open about how badly I'd been hurt. And sure enough, it wasn't the answers that I wanted. It, It wasn't. I was completely wrong. I handled it wrong. It wasn't if I offended you, I'm sorry, but it was somewhere in between the two. I'm letting you know that if I would not have allowed God to prepare me, there's things that were said in that that would have offended me and I would have stormed out of there and I would still be living in that hate. We stood up from that table, not seeing eye to eye on everything. We hugged each other. This was, this was a mentor of mine. I'm in ministry today because of this person. We hugged each other. He asked me, he said, would it be okay if I contacted you every now and then? And I said, sure. And every so often, I'll get a text and I'll respond to it. I'll, I'll tell you this. I don't know if I'll ever be able to trust them again. He didn't tell me I had to trust them. He told me to leave my offering at the altar and go try and make it right. I can tell you, today I stand before you whole because I don't hate them anymore. I don't hate him anymore. I pray for him. I pray for his success. I pray for God to use him. Maybe that's the reason why Jesus told us to to pray for our enemies. Because, you know, it's hard to hate someone when you pray for them. It is so hard to hate someone when you pray for them. It's, it's like when you start praying for someone, as Jesus said, pray for your enemies. It's almost like God puts this little seed of love in your heart. And as you begin to pray, it just begins to grow. You see, when he said pray for your enemies, he didn't mean pray that God would kill them pronounce blessings over them success over them the protection of God over their lives it's hard at first I'm not going to lie because when you hate someone it's hard to pray those prayers but man as God's love begins to flow through you and I understand this I know that there's some of you in the room there's individuals you can point at and that's why you're angry I I get it. And sometimes it's an injustice. I get it. And and, and you can't always go to someone. The Holy Spirit's dealing with some of you right now. You know if you're supposed to go talk with someone. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. But yet for others in the room, it's an agenda that you hate. It's a platform that you hate. And listen, if if your hate is aimed at Washington, D.C., I beg you, please do not go and try and talk with the president. It's not going to end well for you, okay? Trust me. There's some things that we just have to pray about from a distance and let God, listen, if, if someone, there's somebody here right now that, God loves you. He loves you so much.
there was an injustice against your life sexually and you hate that person I am not asking you to go and confront your offender that's not what I'm saying unless the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you very plainly I advise you not to do that however however You do not want to harbor that anger up inside of you and let it turn into hate to the point that it takes you away from the calling that's on your life. Hate, it is a powerful weapon that not only destroys who it's aimed at, but it backfires and it will destroy you. He said, guard your heart. Because it's the wellspring of life. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's lurking inside right here, it cannot remain. It has to be dealt with. Father, there are so many situations in this room. Lord, some that I can relate to, some, Lord, that are so far outside of anything that I can imagine. Lord, whatever the source of anger is, that's not the sin. But not dealing with that anger, not finding a place, Lord, where we can at least pray for our enemies, getting to that place. It's hard, Lord. It's hard to reach that place. Lord, these are the things that will cause us to not become the men and women that you've called us to be. We desire to be spirit-led. But there are things in our hearts that are consuming us. God, pinpoint that in our lives right now. Don't let anyone walk out of this room harboring anger including me, God. You know what I'm dealing with. You know what I'm going through. God, help me with my anger. Help me, God. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org. 